Hello and welcome back to the Fire and Fragrance podcast. Today we have the Millers from Upper Room sharing on true worshipers. Let's jump right in. Just want to have maximum time together. How are you guys? Good. Good to see you guys. Missed you. All, all, always good to be back. Always good to see you guys. Such an epic prayer set this morning for Central Asia, for Kyrgyzstan. Um, love praying together, guys. Just the best. And um, briefly, a bunch of you had been, of course, at worship yesterday morning, but um, we just got back from, I was doing, I did six cities in like eight days, but our SEND team did four cities um, that are our four SEND cities. So some, some of you guys, I, I feel like a few of your parents came and introduced yourself to me at some of these places. We're like, hey, my kid's at DTS right now. It was awesome. I love meeting your families. But I was in Lancaster first, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And um, unbelievable hunger, guys. Unbelievable. It was like the little spillover of kind of what was happening at Asbury and, of course, many other places. But people were lined up four hours before the event. We were shocked. Hundreds of people. And that night, we had a san- our sanctuary was about 1,500 people, and 3,000 people came. So they f- filled every overflow, including a gym across the road at a different church. Um, just with hunger. Night erupted, went for three hours, uh, eventually just needed to wrap it up. And then we went from there, we drove to Boston, we went from, from the Northeast. Man, I was so encouraged in Boston, guys, like so encouraged. I know so many believers in Boston or the Northeast feel like there's not many of us. That's the general consensus, is like there's not a lot of us. But man, the fire in Boston was unbelievably hot, unbelievable. So we gathered, um, about 2,000 people showed up that night. Again, about 600 of them were in an overflow room, but just so hungry because they wanted to worship together. That night erupted. Francis was on fire. um, Francis was helping speak, and Lindy was leading worship, and it just blew out with faith for the Northeast, that God's really moving in this area, and uh, real faith for spiritual awakening in the Northeast. It was just fun. And then we went to Grand Rapids. Anyone from Western Michigan? It was my first time to this area of, of uh, I've been to Michigan, but never to Western Michigan and to Grand Rapids. Awesome time. So many amazing people. And again, that night, um, so many young people. You know, there's a number of universities in the area. Felt like the whole gathering that night, I don't remember how many there were, a couple thousand, um, was all young people. High schools, universities, and uh, so much hunger. And then we had a crazy storm and had to drive through the night to get to Nashville instead of flying. So we had a midnight to 7 a.m. drive, which was so fun, and, um, and then uh, got to Nashville. Anyone from Nashville in here? Where's our, anyone in that area? Yeah, a few people? Okay, they're not that pumped about Nashville, but they are in here. Okay, they're a little, little more pumped about Nashville. Let's go, Nashville. So um, again, epic gathering. So I think in all four gatherings, we gathered about 7,300 people. And then in the pastors' gatherings, about uh, 880 leaders and pastors in all four cities, which to us was just astounding and not about the send. I just really believe we're in a doomed day in America right now. I really believe it. And I feel like I'm seeing it. I spent the last 20 years, you know, going across America different times, you know, regularly uh, on an annual basis. And I feel like for myself, I've never seen the level of hunger that I saw on this last trip. And my prayer is, is that really is a new day. And I'm not worried about whether Asbury continued to go or whether Asbury, you know, stopped their evening meetings, because if it's God, it can't be stopped. Do you know what I mean? And uh, the hunger has spread and is spreading. And as I shared with you guys, even during that time, I just think the tide is rising in America. And we, we had a, a taste. We had a wave hit over these last several weeks. Well, there are more waves coming. And with the rising tide, every wave is going to go a little bit higher on that bank. And so I am living 
right now with daily expectation going, God, where's next? What are you going to do next? How are you going to pop off next? What's going to look like when the Spirit breaks out with healing? Where's it going to happen next? I just can't wait. I'm living with that expectation right now. So, so pumped, guys. So excited for this week. You guys are how many weeks out from outreach right now? Wait, I heard five and then two. Some, some of y'all need to get your dates right. Two weeks? So Three? I'm going to go to the leaders. Okay, three. Three. So three weeks of lecture left. Is that right? This week and then two more weeks and then you guys launch? Okay, so you're so close. You're so close, guys. Can't wait for you guys to spread out across the world. Cannot wait for the miracle stories. All the people that get touched by the gospel because of your love and your simple obedience. It's going to be epic. But this week, guys, we have a mega blessing, mega blessing. Um, about, uh, man, I'm going to forget the time frame, year ago, year and a half ago, uh, we were on a road trip as a whole family, and uh, we took our crew across America longer than that ago. How? Two years ago. Thank you. You knew. Two. Okay. Okay. You remember. So we went on a road trip across the U.S. as our whole family. We drove about nine weeks, uh, thousands of miles, crisscrossed America, and spoke at like, I mean, we just did all kinds of gatherings. It was so fun. Went to Dallas to be with some of our really good friends. We love Upper Room. Upper Room is like, um, I, I, would, I would like to say like closer than cousins, like siblings, like really siblings. Upper Room has had such a profound impact on us and our movement, our leadership. Um, we just have deeply loved the leadership that's come out of Upper Room, the spirit, the way the spirit moves. I think it's been another major catalyst to global prayer has been Upper Room, especially for young millennials and Gen Z to get a hold of prayer. I think Upper Room has been a major inspiration part of that. And so we went to be with our dear friends, Michael and Larissa Miller, and I had met them a few times. I don't think Holly had met them before, and our kids had never met before. And we planned to be there uh, two, three days, but then something crazy happened in Dallas. We called it Snowmageddon. Uh, it was insane. Like, so much snow poured out in Dallas that the roads were closed. Everything was closed. The power was out. I was shocked, guys. I'm from Alaska. I did not expect this to happen in Dallas at all. And Dallas didn't expect to happen in Dallas. And so everything just went into total pandemonium and shutdown. And we ended up being snowed in to the Miller's home where we were staying with them for 10 days. So we had a 10-day forced family vacation that was one of the, some of the best 10 days of our lives. And we barely knew each other before. Our kids did it. We had 10 days of the most ridiculous fun you could imagine. Um, Michael wasn't used to driving in snow, so I was the designated driver everywhere we went with my Alaskan driving expertise. And, uh, and then we had uh, snow Olympics with the kids. I mean, we were just making up all the crazy stuff because everyone's just trapped in their houses in their yards. Like, there, there's just nothing else to do because everything's closed down. And during those 10 days, we just became dear, dear friends with the Millers and uh, have only grown in our love and respect for their leadership, for their voice, uh, for what they're bringing to the global body of Christ, to America in this hour. And, uh, and then we have dreamt since that day that we could have like Snowmageddon round two and they would come to Kona and get locked in our house. Not much chance of getting snowed in. But maybe this little windstorm will cancel their flights or something. I don't know. And they'll get stuck here longer. But uh, it's been a dream that they would be able to come and impart to our community. I so believe that what Upper Room carries is so significant to the global missions movement. 
this uh, incredible heart of intimacy, ministering to the heart of the Lord, understanding our calling as Mary of Bethany sitting at the feet of God, and what does it look like to live that lifestyle long term, and I think it is central to reaching the unreached around the world. And so guys, I am so excited that Michael and Larissa are here, their kids as well, they're out playing, but you'll probably get to meet them at some point, and so I would love it if we could give an epic fire and fragrance welcome to these guys as they come and share with us this morning. This is our first time on a on a YWAM base, so we've never been on a base. I know, like, where have we been? Are we even saved? Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, and but just so much love and honor and respect for what's been happening here for decades, and we have been deeply impacted by it. And anytime we meet a YWAMer, we just instantly feel like they're family, and the birds definitely fit into that category. Uh, I've been training my kids for the Summer Olympics. We did the Winter Olympics in Dallas. Summer Olympics start this week, so I've got high expectations for them. Uh, we had an absolute blast. It was a divine setup that the birds uh, were forced to stay with the Millers for several days. So, um, And we're, we're expecting for this week. I, I really believe we're on assignment this week uh, to be with you the next couple of days, and uh, that we're all going to encounter Jesus in just a fresh way. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited. So do you want to share a little bit? And then... uh, hi, guys. I am so happy right now. <laughs> um, man, can I tell you, like, when we, when we, well, first of all, just the morning I had watching the sun come up over the, whatever you call this hill over here, and and then, but when we walked over to this tent and you guys were worshiping the Lord and I could sense the Lord's presence, I was back here and I was like, I think I might be in heaven. I'm on an island. I could see the ocean and these, all these young people are worshiping the Lord with all that they have. I thought, I don't think I'm going to leave, Andy. Sorry, I'm, 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 I'm moving in. Um, no, I, <laughs> it's truly, really an honor. And our, our friends from Zion Dance are here. They've been teaching them the, um, they, they worship with us week in and week out. We love them so much. And man, we're, we're really, really honored to be here. And truly, we, we feel that that, that time two years ago was a divine appointment that God planned you know we didn't know they would get snowed in and but God did and we we feel that the connection between what we're doing and what you guys are doing that the Lord is all over it and I want you to know that that from our perspective we need what you carry we need what you carry. I feel the zeal and the passion to go. I was interceding with you guys for, what, what was it, Kyrgyzstan? Um, yes, yes. 
But I got, I was, I'm interceding, and then I would get so overwhelmed with gratitude for what I was experiencing, I would forget what I was doing, just be weeping in the Lord's presence. So anyway, I, I'm, I'm, it's such an honor to be with you, and we're excited for what God's going to share and impart. So yeah, yes. Larissa's going to teach this morning, but I, I want to, I want to pray for her, and uh, I, I'm really humbled as I'm, as I'm listening to her and thinking about who we're standing in front of. I believe some of the greatest leaders on the planet are in this room. That, that this generation that's coming forth, the, the challenges and opportunities that are before us as God's people, I believe uh, some of the greatest leaders are, are in, in front of me right now. And uh, it's humbling uh, to be in front of you. And, uh, and so I, 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 think, I think if anything, the Lord has... Uh, has led Lo and I. Um, we've just we've just had a, a small perch, but a perch to see um, him radically possess uh, Gen Z and millennials. Uh, I call I call up a room in Dallas Millennialville. It is uh, it is it is similar to what Andy was saying. Sunday mornings uh, for our 10 a.m. service, I show up at eight, and there's a line of a couple hundred people already uh, waiting to get in to church on a Sunday morning in Dallas, Texas. It's just unheard of, but they're all young people, and, and they're not showing up for a preacher. They're not showing up for a, a worship leader because they don't know who's going to preach or who's, who's leading. They know this, though. They know God's going to be in the building, and uh, they know that there's a place that's marked by the presence of Jesus, and, and, uh, and I believe God is deploying young people uh, across the earth that are carriers of that reality, and uh, and, and really, really, um, it, it's, it's what Gen Z's longing for. I think we're seeing it, it trickle in Asbury, but it is going to sweep across the nation. This is just the beginning. Uh, I believe it's not going to stop. Uh, and so um, do you want me to share some of our story, and then I'll hand it off to you. So uh, we, I, I have been a local church guy for 20-plus years. I've been on staff at churches and uh, have such a heart for the local church, a heart for um, for people living in proximity to the presence of Jesus, just regularly, daily, uh, doing life in that place. And uh, we had an invitation by a business owner in Dallas to host a prayer meeting, and it really lined up with our um, prophetic history with God. We had just been married for a year, and uh, we were actually making plans to go to Redding, California to be a part of Bethel Church. We were uh, she was, she was, my wife is like uber book smart. She was going to be a doctor and she was taking her pre, prereqs and we needed to go somewhere for about a year so she could finish that. And, um, and, and so we had, I had applied for a job in Northern California and, um, had landed a job. We were looking at a place and I mean, we had our plans, but we didn't share it with a whole lot of people. And we went to dinner with a couple, hadn't been to dinner with them since or before. And she had a dream about us. This was August of 2009. And uh, we came to the dinner, and she said, I had a dream about you guys last night. And in this dream, I read Amos 5.5. 5. Now, I, no one knows what Amos 5.5 5 is, so like, she goes, it will make no sense to you. But here's what Amos 5.5 5 said. It said, seek Bethel and die. It said, seek me and live. And um, I know, it was a clear word from the Lord. Uh, and so we, we ended up not going to Redding, California, obviously. Uh, with that strong word, and here's 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 uh, 
here's a free, free, free practical tip is that when you're about to get outside of God's will, he'll let you know it. Um, I think his will is a playground until, until he, he does bring correction. And he did that in that moment. But, but four months later, we would uh, be invited to, to start a prayer meeting in downtown Dallas in a room that the business owner would call an upper room. He described it as that. It overlooked our city. It was about half the size of this tent. And, uh, and so we started praying in this room, not really knowing what would come out of it. Uh, long story longer, uh, we, we, we ended up uh, uh, finding a small group of, of people that were passionate about God's presence and prayer, and they started moving into this area, and before we knew it, we had a church plant. And uh, I was wrestling with the Lord because I didn't feel called to this area. It was uh, very, very post-Christian, dark. Um, the, it was the gayborhoods, what, what it's known as in Dallas. Uh, I was getting hit on all the time. Like, it just wasn't my burden. Like, I had burdens, but this demographic was not the burden that I would have chosen. And I was, I was wrestling with God, and I said, God, you found the wrong guy. You found the wrong couple. Like, we're not the ones to lead this. You should have called this person or that person. And, and the Lord spoke a phrase to me that's just, I've been unpacking ever since. But he said, he said, Michael, I didn't first call you down here to minister to people. I called you down here first to minister to me. And uh, ministry to the Lord was a phrase I hadn't heard. And I went on a journey discovering what that meant. Uh, to build a community that was first attractive to the Lord, first attractive uh, to to his desires, his likes, and before we knew it, we had a home for him, and uh, we didn't think it was much, but we knew we were being faithful, and, uh, and we knew God really liked it, and over time, we started seeing some of the hardest hearts in that neighborhood walk into the room, and just getting in the atmosphere where God's presence was, uh, walls would come down, and we could have conversations that we could not have had outside of that environment with some people that were really offended, mad at God, had been hurt by the church, and um, they rediscovered a Jesus that they thought they had left and thought that they had uh, uh, disowned. And man, a lot of those guys have come out of that lifestyle. I've married several of them. And, uh, and so along with that demographic and then just, just a lot of people that were done with church have rediscovered that church is not a dirty word, amen? And so that's a little of our journey. We had young people show up and really buy into the vision. And uh, I'll share some more of that tomorrow. But let me pray for you, babe. Is this a windstorm? Is that what this is? Officially? Let the winds blow, baby. Come, Jesus. So bless my wife, Lord. Fill her with your spirit. Come, Lord, we pray. Have your way. Would you stand to your feet real quick? Would you just put your hand on your head? And Father, we pray, Holy Ghost, that you would encounter us, renew our minds, set our mind on things above, Lord. Let us see you rightly, ourselves rightly, and Lord, what you're doing in this moment. I am believing, Lord, that lives are going to be transformed over the next couple of days. Specifically, hearts are going to be whole, and that you're going to raise up not just gifted, talented, anointed leaders, but healthy ones, Lord, whole ones, whole ones that know how to do relationships well. Uh, bless the staff. I pray they're refreshed this week. Uh, so come and have your way among us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Amen. Hey, stay standing. <laughs> All right. Close your eyes. You have eyes inside of your heart. The Bible says they were made to look at Jesus. They're like magnets. 
they're drawn to him, to his presence. So I want you to right now is let the eyes of your heart gaze upon the king, Jesus. We look to you. Jesus, we look to you. Jesus, we look to you. Jesus, in you, in you, we live and move and have our being. We allow our gaze, Lord, to focus in on your face. You said that you put the face of Christ in our hearts. And we want to behold the face of Christ. Let everything else become blurry now, Lord. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that everything else would blur, 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 and we could see you. We could sense the fire in your eyes, the mercy that you're extending today. I thank you, Jesus, for new mercies today. I thank you, Jesus, for new mercies today for every heart in this room. I thank you that your love is steadfast, full on, and strong. The dial of your love is at full max turn. No matter what we feel, no matter what we're afraid of, no matter what the person two people down thinks, your love, the fire of your love is set on your children today. We want to know you more, Lord. Eternal life is this. It's knowing you. It's knowing you. Oh, Lord, don't let us just be laborers, but let us be lovers, because lovers will bring in more lovers. Let us be lovers, God. Let us be lovers, Lord. Break down every religious idea that we have of you that is not accurate. We ask you by the power of your spirit today, Lord, tear down every false idea that we have of who you are because we really want to behold you. This is the desire of our hearts, Lord, to behold you, to behold you, to behold you, that everything we do would come from you, through you, and back to you, Lord, that everything would be rooted and grounded in your love. Lord, we love to co-labor with you, but we don't want to leave you behind in our laboring. Let us love you, Jesus. Ooh. If you, if you have a, a prayer language, would you pray in that right now? If you don't, just whisper his name, Jesus, 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 Jesus. We love you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. I know that these, 
these students go through this every week, week in and week out, but Lord, we don't want to go through the motions. We don't want to check off the next couple of hours. We want to be transformed, Lord. We want to really encounter you. We want your word to come alive, to be living and active. Wake us up, Holy Spirit, to where we are right now. Wake us up. Wake us up. Wake us up. We ask that you'd wake us up, Holy Spirit. Wake us up, Holy Spirit. Wake us up, Holy Spirit. Will you sing to him with me? We're going to sing <laughs> a cappella. <laughs> Stay standing. Before I before I give a message, I want you to, I feel the Holy Spirit saying, if you'll give me your dreams, I'll give you something better. And I want you to hold your hands out. If you feel, if you feel like that is that's you. There's so many dreams that young people have that are so awesome in this place. And I I feel the Lord zealous to say, let me, let, let me have that. Let me have that because I want to be the dream of your heart before you put any other dream before me. Even the dreams that I could give you, I want, I want to be the dream of your heart. And we do this in faith. We do this in faith. It's not that he doesn't want you to have beautiful things from him, but we, we give him these things in faith. So I want us to sing again, but hold out whatever that is for you, whatever it looks like for you, wherever you've dreamed of going, whatever you've dreamed of doing, even things in the kingdom that you've dreamed of. I just feel like we want to bring him an offering of worship today. Because he wants to give you himself, and he wants to give you something better. So just hold that out. Hold that out. Hold. Some of you are going to experience new levels of freedom as you just release. He wants to unbind your heart from things that bind it, from things that hold it back, from things that keep it hesitant. Oh, we say to you, Lord, I give you my heart. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm away. I see, I see, I'm, I, I see, um, I see cords hanging over some of your heads and your bodies, and they're almost like, they're almost like puppet strings. And those relationships that you're, you've, you're holding onto are controlling you instead of the Holy Spirit controlling you and I, I it's going to take your agreement with the Holy Spirit to cut the cords so that you can be free and let the Holy Spirit be the one that controls you some of you are making decisions you may not even have realized it until right now as I'm speaking you're making decisions based on what some per some other person some especially I feel like it's someone you're dating or talking to would want or what they think even even your decision to go this place or that place feels like something else is controlling it and not the Holy Spirit so father right now if that's you just let your let your let your heart if you want to raise your hand if this is speaking to you if this is ministering to you there's one in the back yeah 
Come on, it's really important. God has something so much better. I'm not talking about the person, but the dream in his heart for you is so much better than whatever you are holding on to. And there's a grace right now for obedience. I'm not saying it won't be hard. I do think it will be hard, but it's, it's, it's a costly offering, and it's unto Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, just say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I want you to control me. I want your spirit to control me. I break all, all ties that are controlling me in the name of Jesus. And I say yes to you, Holy Spirit. Oh, he has such a beautiful future for you that is beyond what you're planning for yourself. It's so much better. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, help us give you everything today. Help us hide nothing from you today. Help us not to withhold anything from you. Because you are worthy, Lord. And you're good. And you're so good. You're so good. You love to give good gifts to your children. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. You can have a seat. Open your Bibles to John chapter 4. If you're going to receive what the Lord has... The soil in your heart must be softened, right? Because right now, the Holy Spirit's sowing seeds. And how many of you want to be a good receiver of the seeds that he's sowing? I do not want to be rocky soil. I do not want to be the one on the side of the path. I don't want the worries of this world to choke it out. I want to receive everything that he's sowing. Amen? I want to bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. <laughs> John chapter 4. I want to talk to you about worship. I want to talk to you about, and I have no clock. Is there a clock anywhere in, around me? Oh, man, I usually have my watch. It's 1010? 10? Okay. Oh, no, there's a lot of time. Great. I want to talk to you about worship. I want to talk to you about what kind of worship the Father is looking for. I want to talk to you about how you can be free in worship and how Jesus is your portion and your prize and your great inheritance and your reward, not what you do for him. Is that good? Okay. Do you have your Bibles open? I love you guys. Gosh, I love you. I'm so, so honored to be here. Okay, done. Uh, okay. <clears throat> All right, John chapter 4. I'm reading out of the NKJV, but you do you. Do you? 
Therefore, when the Lord knew, we're going to go through quite a bit of scripture, so. Yeah, amen. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, interesting point, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. If you're an underliner or a note taker, this is your moment. He needed to go through Samaria. Does somebody have a different version you want to read that particular line that says something else there? He had to travel through Samaria. He had to go through, he had to pass through. Okay, this is a very interesting note because devout Jewish people would not have gone through Samaria. How many of you know that? They would not have gone through Samaria. They made it a point, like, like if, if, if Brie is Samaria, no, if Brie is my destination and Samaria is on this path, a devout Jewish person would have gone like this and made their way all the way around to Brie because of how they felt about the Samaritans. So for Jesus, being the man that he was, adhering to every part of the law, for him to, for him to need to go through Samaria is something that should catch your attention, okay? This tells me that the Son of God had an appointment. It's like, hey, I... I know that I have a dentist appointment Tuesday at 10. Like, I need to go to the dentist. Jesus needed to go through Samaria because he, there was something he had to do there. I even feel like some of you, this is going to give you direction on your, in your next, when you leave here. Like, there are places that you're going to go that you're going to think, why am I here? And the, the, the spirit of the Lord is going to say to you, because I have business here. I have an appointment for you here. All right, verse 5. Ready? So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. An interesting study for you would be to find out all the things that happened in this plot of ground. It's pretty fascinating, but I don't have time to go into that. Verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. A bit bold. <clears throat> Verse 8, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So can you picture this? Here's a well. It's hot. Jesus is tired. It's one of my favorite things to note about Jesus is that he became just like us. He was tired and he was thirsty. Isn't that wonderful? The son of God, the creator of the universe was tired and he was thirsty just because he wanted you to know, hey, I get it. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Give me a drink. Verse nine, then the woman of Samaria said to him, so they're by themselves. First weird thing, right? Very not okay for a Jewish rabbi to be talking alone with a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. But he had an appointment. Amen? 
All right. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. (laughs) And he would have given you living water. Now, one of my favorite things about this conversation is that Jesus is talking here. He's he's up here. (laughs) He's talking up here. And she's just not getting it. She keeps being like, she's talking down here. It's like, we we are missing each other. And it happens over and over again. I mean, he's like, give me a drink. And then he goes into this swirly language about you'll never thirst again. And she's like, huh? Look at her in verse 11. The woman said to him, this is like someone who still has the veil over them, right? It's like, oh, I just, I am not seeing it. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain. Oh, now we're, now we're, not, we're past wells. We're past drinks. Now we're becoming a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. This is not talking about salvation. This is talking about your life in God. But we'll go there in a minute. Verse 15. Here she is. She's back down here again. She's not getting it. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. She's like, I would love to not hike up here and fill up my water in the heat of the day and hike back down, right? Have you guys seen The Chosen? Have you seen this episode of The Chosen? It was so good. Um, <clears throat> all right, that, now we have a very interesting comment that makes no sense. If you can picture this encounter, now see this moment. She's like, I want some of that water. And he says, go call your husband and come here. Huh? Now, a lot of people think Jesus began to say this to point out her sin. I don't think that's true. I think he said this to point out, hey, I know that you're thirsty. (laughs) I know that your soul has a deep thirst in it, and I'm about to show you that I know that. How does he do that? He says, she says, I have no husband. Remember, Jesus had an appointment. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. Now, before you go be hard on this woman and think, what kind of woman is this? You should understand that that women in this culture were completely dependent on a male to care for them. And men could divorce a woman when they were just not pleased with her anymore. 
So this woman, I don't know, I don't know what it was about her. I don't know the context. All I know is that she, it probably was not her choice to be divorced over and over and over again. They just kept being done with her, done with her, done with her, done with her. And she, having no means to care for herself, has to find another one. Are you following me? So we're not looking at like some, I don't know a nice word to say, like some woman of the night, (laughs) okay? Um, This is not what we're looking at. We're looking at a, a rejected woman. We're looking at a woman who's been desperate and rejected. Is this not who he comes for? Is that not who he comes for? She's desperate and she's rejected. He's not pointing out her sin like, oh, you just keep hopping from man to man. He's like, I see that you have been cast aside over and over again. Listen to what she says. Verse 19. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers, now, now, we're, now we're about to enter in a conversation about worship, which is what I think Jesus was trying to get to from the, from the time that he left Galilee, from the time that he left Judea, He was trying to get to this moment where he starts addressing worship. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So this part of the disagreement with Samaritans is that they believed that they had their own mountain that God was to be worshiped on. It's a long story. I'm not going to go into that. So verse 21. Are you guys with me? Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father In what? In spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who's called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, uh, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I want you to take a moment and appreciate that, that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. And that of all the people that he could have gone to, the father wanted to reveal who the son was to this Samaritan, number one, a woman.
woman, number two, and a woman who had been around the block over and over. This is the most least likely of candidates to reveal who the Messiah is to. Do you know what a privilege it was to be one of the first people to be told, I'm him. I'm the one. That tells me that the Father let me find um, <laughs> let me find the least likely person. You know, I'm thinking, I'm, if I'm Jesus and I'm thinking I have a ministry and I'm about to release it on the earth and I'm coming to Kona and I'm thinking I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call up Andy and I'm going to call up Zane and I'm going to call up all the leadership and be like, I'm coming to Kona. I have this new ministry I'm rolling out. I want all your leadership to know so you can prepare. Not Jesus. Jesus plans to go to a place no one wanted to go. And he plans to reveal it to someone no one would be likely to listen to. Am I right? Like the people in that village, they know that woman. You know, when a spirit of rejection is on someone's life, they, they, you want to reject them. They, like, they walk around with it. It's like a big sign on their back, reject me. <laughs> and if you don't know any better, you will. The, the intentionality of Jesus, do you see this? He did not go meet with the leadership in Samaria to reveal the Messiah's here, guys. He picked her. He picked her. He went to that well knowing, I don't know what, you know, I, I sometimes wonder, like, did Jesus, like, did he, is he, is this unveiled to him in the moment? How, how did this work? Did he, like, did he know ahead of time? Did he see it all? Or just as a man, is he just following step by step in the spirit? And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to hang out of this well, and okay, and here's a woman. I don't know how that works, you know? All I know is it was planned. It was planned. I'm gonna we'll, we'll go we'll go look at the rest in a minute, but now I want to I want to revisit the way that this narrative played out, because I think the Lord wants to impart something to you about His heart that will set you free as an individual and in those that you lead to Him. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is. <laughs> and you know what? He is zealous for your heart to be free. Let me show you what that looks like. Jesus shows up and says, give me a drink. <laughs> Do you know sometimes we come to Jesus and he says, give me a drink. And sometimes, if not every time, the whole point of Jesus asking you for a drink is for you to see your water pot and be like, oh, I'm, I don't have anything, Lord. How can I give you a drink? You see this? It's empty. And he's like, yeah, I just wanted you to see. You have nothing to give me. I just wanted you to see you have nothing to offer me, and I want to offer you not stale water from a well, not stagnant water has been sitting down there forever. I want to offer you a drink that will form in you a fountain 
that will bubble up and will produce life in you and through you for eternity. <laughs> That's amazing. So he says, hey, he meets you at a well, rejected, desperate. Give me a drink. Why are you asking me for a drink? He's like, if you knew who was asking you, you would have asked me. But something, something mysterious happens. The mysterious thing that happens is God needs nothing from you. Jesus didn't need a drink. He didn't need a drink. He could have snapped his fingers and had a fish jump out of that well and hand him a bottle of Evian. He, didn't, he, he, he did not need a drink. He wants you to know that you have something to offer him. He doesn't need anything from you, but he wants something from you. And he, before you get to the point where you understand that you have something to bring, he needs you to see that you are very thirsty. Hmm. Did you know that your soul is thirsty? And your soul is going to be thirsty for the rest of your days until you see him face to face. And your soul will find a way to get a drink. Come hell or high water, it will find somewhere to drink. Right now, your soul's drinking from something. It could be the Lord. Maybe it's not. Your, your soul is thirsty. A ton of us find it in the opposite sex. A ton of us, or same sex. A ton of us find it in another person because that's the closest we can find that looks like what our actually insides, our makeup is like. It's looking for the image of Christ. It's looking for the one that can give you a drink. And, it's, and, and so it, the closest it can usually find looks like another person because they're actually made in his image. And so you are thirsty. But one of the things that he needs to do when he asks you for a drink is he needs to be able to show you, hey, you're very thirsty. I see that you've been rejected. I see that you're desperate. I see that you're isolated. I see that you're alone. And I want a drink. Lord, I have nothing. I have no, my, what can I give you? And why are you asking me of all people? He's like, because I want to give you something. It's going to take you realizing that your water pot's useless. Let's look at this. You see that this, see, I want you to see this, this progression here. This conversation about thirst led to a revelation of her history with men, which then led to a conversation of all things about worship. 
And I'm telling you that the thirst in your soul that you will have for the rest of your life, the place that your soul is meant to drink is in worship. And the great mystery that happens in worship is that your soul is drinking and you are refreshing God himself. Your actual drinking of the river of life from Christ actually refreshes him. And there's this mutual giving. You can never, we, we say this all the time, you can't outgive God. You, can, you have nothing to offer him, but for some reason he's chosen us. And that when we lend ourselves fully to him, and I'm going to show you how to do it in a minute, it refreshes him. It's like, wait a minute. How am I giving you something? I want you to go back to verse 21. We're going to look carefully at these three verses. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, he's beginning to call out her identity now. He's like, I see you, and I'm calling you a true worshiper. She's completely clueless, and he's beginning to call forth her identity. True worshipers will worship who? The Father in spirit and truth. This is the key. I want you to never forget this phrase. For the Father is seeking such To worship him. Read it again. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Seeking what? Can we all agree that God needs nothing from you? Acts 17 says he's made everything. He, he He has need of nothing from you. So if we move past need, then we must be aware that there's something that he wants. And the thing that he wants, just think, Jesus' whole reason for his, his, him leaving glory and limiting himself to flesh was to carry out what the Father wanted. And here we have insight to the whole point. He's knowing, hey, my dad is wanting something. And let me tell you what he wants. What does he want? He doesn't want worship. He wants worshipers. And he wants a specific kind. Not a kind of worship, but a kind of worshiper. It's the kind that one knows that they have nothing. It's the kind that knows that they're thirsty. It's the kind that knows that they're desperate. It's the kind that knows that he's everything. And he describes these worshipers as those who worship in 
spirit, and what? Can we look at those two words for a minute? Why, why worship him in spirit? What does that mean? What does it mean to worship God in spirit? With the spirit? He's making a point, because this woman's like, hey, we're, we worship on that mountain, y'all worship on that mountain. He's making a point, hey, I'm about to tell you that God dwells everywhere. And that to worship him in spirit means Oh, there's nothing that he doesn't see or have access to. That it breaks the mindset that like, I'm, oh, now I'm in worship. It breaks the mindset that, that when you're here, you're worshiping in the, in the beauty of holiness. And then when you go in your room and you're looking at things on your phone that you shouldn't look at, that it's all the same. It's, can I say that again? It's all the same. <laughs> to worship him in spirit means, oh, he's, ev <laughs> right? This is like, this is like church 101, like God's everywhere. Yes. He sees everything and he knows everything. Yes. You guys with me? <laughs> to worship him in spirit means, wow, he's walking through walls. When I get shipped off to Kenya or to name some places you guys are going. Where, oh, wow. Brazil? What, what, what? Mongolia? Turkey? What, what? Samoa? Kyrgyzstan, okay, 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 Mexico, Nepal, wow, 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 wow. He's in, he's in spirit. He's not just in this tent, although he's in. He's, 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 he's receiving it all, if you will. I'm worshiping when I'm patient with my five-year-old. And I'm worshiping when you're working on the farm or you're working in the cafe. Like, you are a worshiper. It is your identity. He's, it didn't say the father's seeking slaves. Although we... You know, we become servants for the sake of Christ. Like we, but he's seeking. The Father sent the Son because he's seeking worshipers. Did you know that you will have one identity for the rest of your life? You are not going to be a missionary for eternity. You are not going to be a worship leader for eternity. You're not going to be a preacher for eternity. You're not going to be a wife or a husband for eternity. You are not going to be, you are going to be one thing for eternity. You are a worshiper. And 
Listen, we are all worshipers. And our worship has an object. We're not all worshiping God. But he is seeking worshipers. He's he's the father is he's imagine if God could make himself vulnerable to wanting something. If God wants something, that means we have the ability to either give it to him or not. How vulnerable is that? It's like, guys, have you ever asked a girl on a date? Please tell me, yes, you have, yeah, amen, okay, that's good. How vulnerable is that? It's terrifying. It's because you're saying, I desire to spend some time with you in an intentional way, and that girl, ladies, this is your moment to be very kind and respectful, that girl has the ability to either meet that desire or say no. I'm telling you that God has made himself vulnerable. He has a desire. He's seeking. He's wanting something. And it's not all you're doing. It's your life as a worship. And so it's in spirit and it's in truth. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with this word in truth, but it means to have nothing hidden. It's not like, it, you, he's, it's not saying he wants worshipers with right doctrine. That's not what he's saying. (laughs) Right doctrine is good, but let me just tell you something. You are not going to arrive at right doctrine until you see Jesus face to face. You just won't. If you think that you've arrived, God bless you. (laughs) You are going to be constantly being transformed into the image of Christ as you gaze on him, as you study his word, as you live life and your doctrine is going, Lord willing, to grow. (laughs) He's not seeking worshipers with right doctrine. He's seeking worshipers who hide nothing from him in their worship. And this, my friends, is the most liberating truth. If you could grab a hold of the fact that God in heaven, the maker of heaven and earth, the lover of your soul, who holds the universe together by the word of his power, who's holding the very cells of your body together, needs nothing but wants something. And it's that you're a worshiper with nothing hidden. That means if, like I mentioned a while ago, if you're struggling with some sin habit, all he asks of you is that it's not hidden from him. It already isn't, right? But the breakthrough happens. Listen to me. This is really important. The breakthrough happens. The breakthrough happens. He sees it all, but the breakthrough happens is when you are aware that he sees it all and that he desires you anyway. That is where you find freedom from that sin. 
It's that place when you know that God sees everything and that he is not like this to you, that he set his love on you, desiring you. Not to clean it up. Not to get it all fixed up. But to come like this. I'm thirsty. Some of you are at such a critical crossroads of your life. You see, I'm, I'm 41, and I have friends who went through DTS as a younger person, as like in their 20s. And I, have, I know friends, have friends, that, that this season of their life at DTS and their time at YWAM like thrust them into the call of God in their life. And I have friends that were still holding on to some things from their old life in this season. And it's been a struggle because they refuse to let go. Some of you are at a really critical crossroads of fully surrendering to Jesus. And I think that you came here with that burn in your heart. And he, the Lord is re-inviting you today to fully surrender to all that he has. Are you guys hearing me? I want us to finish this narrative and then what what how am I what time is it, Michael? 1045. Sweet. You guys doing okay? Yeah. Look at verse 27. And at this point, <laughs> right when he revealed himself. You see this? At this point, his disciples came. And they marveled that he talked with a woman. But they knew better than to say, what are you seeking? Why are you talking with her? Verse 28. <laughs> this is amazing. I see the intimacy and the go of the gospel all in one narrative. Because look what happens in verse 28. The woman then left her water pot. She had some other level, some other satisfaction coming down the pipe. Because she left her water pot. She went her way into the city <laughs> and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Okay, keep reading with me. Stay with me. In the meantime, his disciples urged him. So she's off in the city. 
<laughs> I don't know about you, but if, if Jesus came and, and like told me everything I ever did, I don't know if I would go brag about it. Like, I would, I would be like, ah. And they, imagine, this, imagine the village. Imagine the people. They know this woman. That's the woman that's been married five times and is living with a man now who's not her husband. They all know. So when she comes running in and is like, I met a man. He told me everything I ever did. They're like, whoa, really? Everything. She has no feeling of shame. This is miraculous. Something about the way that he encountered her, she was not embarrassed at all. She was set free. She was, she was excited to share. That's crazy to me. I'm thinking she's like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna, she's going to hang out by the well and weep that he knew everything. But she's like, I met a man. <laughs> he knows everything about me. And here they come. Meanwhile, so here's what's happening in town. Meanwhile, Jesus, his disciples come back and they're urging him to eat. And what does he say? Come on, look at it. What does he say? He says, I have food to eat of which you do not know. They don't get it. Has anyone brought him anything to eat? They're looking around like, did you, did you, did you give him bread? Did you, did you get here before me and did he eat? No, no, no. <laughs> Look what Jesus says. My food, remember, he needed to go to Samaria. Something about him saw the father. He's, remember, Jesus only does what he sees the father. Something about him saw the father going into Samaria, meeting this woman at the well. And Jesus himself found literal sustenance from his encounter with this thirsty woman. That actually fed Jesus. Wow. Her neediness, her honesty, her allowing him to see it all fed him. It fed him. He says, I've got food. You guys don't know anything about my food is to do the will of him who sent me. <laughs> then this comes, you guys probably know this very well, this portion about the harvest, right? I want you to see that the harvest is ripe with what? It's ripe with worshipers. It's ripe with worshipers. It's really important to me that as you go out and you share the gospel in whatever ways that you share, whether it's you know just um, providing aid or just practical things, being the hands and feet of Jesus, it's really important to me that as you bring in the harvest, that you actually know what you're bringing them into. You are going out into a field where there's worshipers that they just don't know it yet. That's all it was for her. She was just a thirsty, rejected, desperate woman. And what Jesus saw was a worshiper. And he saw that his father wanted that one. He 
didn't want, he didn't need like a tick in his belt. Like, oh, I got another one saved, God. <laughs> Are you seeing me? He, he knew that his father had a desire for her. And it fed him. Remember, this whole narrative started out with him saying, give me a drink. You know what? She did. She did. Because he was satisfied when they came back. He's like, I'm not hungry, guys. You wouldn't believe what just happened. All right, I want you to see... I want you to see what happens. Look in verse 39. This is beautiful. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. What a weird way to evangelize. Am I right? So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And get this, 41, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. We ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Get your eyes on the least likely candidates. Understand that you were the least likely candidate. And he didn't come for those that don't know that they're sick. And though we are saved and washed every day, we understand that if I don't drink from you, Lord, I'm sick. My soul will be sick, and it will find its satisfaction elsewhere. This is how he designed you, because he wants something. Let's practice this, can we? You've got someone who can, like, hop on the keys or a guitar or something? That'd be great. Thank you, Lord. I was thinking about Jesus saying the fathers, the fathers seek worshipers, they worship in spirit and in truth. And, and biblically, spirit and truth are the two prescriptions for freedom. That you'll, you'll know the truth and the truth will what? 
set you free. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's freedom. So, so the Father's looking for hearts that have been liberated because they've been subjected to his spirit and truth. And, and what's happening this, this, this morning is <clears throat> you, you don't have much to bring him. But what, what you can bring him is a yielded will, a, a, a heart that's yielded to the lordship of his spirit and to the authority of his truth. And those two things liberate our hearts. He's seeking hearts that have been liberated, hearts that have been subjected and willingly yielded to his yes. When I was in college, I, I grew up in the church and um, I had been a part of moments like this a lot where it's like I would even been on, on, on mission excursions and, and done trainings and I just knew, I knew it all, but, but I lived a life of duplicity. I lived a life of like half in, half out. Um, I wanted to do God's will, but those appetites in my life were just so strong. And, uh, and I know most of you in your 20s in this room, and, and your 20s are, are bloody sometimes. You're learning about who you are, but you're equally learning about who you're not. Uh, you're, you're fighting a fight. And, and in, the, in the Old Testament, actually, if you were a Hebraic in the Hebrew culture, um, in the book of Numbers, it says, set those that are 20 and upwards and set them aside for war. And I could, I could, we could walk through Scripture, but it's not actually until you're in your 30s that you enter into your calling and destiny and, like, there's something that shifts when you get into your 30s. But I could prove to you in your 20s, your 20s, your 20s were marked by the battlefield. They were marked by you being in the army of Israel. And you weren't allowed to go into the holiest of holies until you were in your 30s and upwards. But your 20s were learning how to fight God's way. And I, I, I feel like what the Lord is, is teaching you in your 20s, what he's doing once again right now is he's teaching you how to yield your life, how to surrender your life, and how to fight the good fight of faith. And I remember when I was 24, I was in a room like this, and I, 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 I had this encounter with God, and I was like, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to give it all. I'm ready to give it all again. But I was scared because in the back of my heart, I'd prayed that prayer. I'd prayed like, Lord, I've I've given it all before. I'd, I'd given the three months to YWAM. I had I'd done those things. And, and, uh, and I, I told the Lord this, and this is what I feel like is happening in the room. I told the Lord this, Lord, I'll simply give you tomorrow. I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to give you today, and I'm going to give you tomorrow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yield my will. I'm going to rack up some momentum in the spirit by surrendering my heart to you. And I just want you to know the power of your little yes, the power of you surrendering your heart to him in spirit and in truth. And as you gain momentum and get a history with him, you become that worshiper. You become the worshiper that's, that's a yielded heart. And I, I even this morning woke up and I've been doing it for 25 years. Lord, I've I'm just going to surrender my will to you. I'm going to surrender my yes to you. I'm going to give you my five loaves and two fish. Lord, I'm not going to let any string dictate the, the movements of my heart because your spirit and your truth are dictating and sourcing freedom for me. Does this make sense? 
And so I just want you to know the power of your little yielded will. <laughs> it's how you know the, the, the power of, of his love for you and what he desires to do in you and through you. So can you just put your hands out one time? I'm going to lead us in a, one last text and then we'll pr pray for another. But, you know, where, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Lord, you're seeking worshipers that worship you in spirit and truth. And so we just acknowledge, Lord, that, that our, our heart's freedom, our soul's freedom is found in daily surrendering and subjecting ourselves to your spirit and your truth. And so we give you praise, Lord, for the freedom and the liberty that's found. For it's for freedom that you came. You liberated us, Lord. You liberated us. Just anything, Lord, that, that we've set as an idol, that we've brought our soul's thirst to, Lord, we renounce it right now. And we just say, Lord, that only you, only you bring freedom. Only you can source our life with freedom. And where there's worry, where there's fear, where there's insecurity, well, we just, today, we don't want to harden our hearts when we hear your voice. Today, we want to be led by the Spirit of God for we're sons and daughters of God. And we're, we're submitted and subjected to your Spirit and your truth for freedom's sake. For freedom's sake. For freedom's sake. For freedom's sake. He who the Son set free is free indeed. And Lord, we give you praise that we've been liberated by spirit. We've been liberated by truth. And Lord, we just cut ties. We burn all other ships. We say this is our plight. To walk in spirit and walk in truth. To be sons and daughters liberated by your spirit. And we are freed to be enslaved. We are free to be your slaves. We are free to subject ourselves daily to the lordship of your spirit and the authority of your truth. And so in Jesus' name, I just declare liberty. I hear a liberty bell in the spirit ringing. He who the Son set free is free indeed. And we are free, Lord, to go to the nations. We are free, Lord, to go. We are free, Lord, to come. We are free, Lord, daily in Jesus' name. So wreck us, Lord. Wreck us, God. Wreck us. Wreck us once again. In Jesus' name, Lord. In Jesus' name. Walking with you is this simple. Walking with you is this easy, Lord. Lord, where it's gotten complicated, where it's gotten twisted, we just return to the simplicity and purity of devoting ourselves to your face, oh God. So source hearts, source perspectives. Fresh and new in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Hey, we just have a couple more minutes. Can I, can I take us in a direction similar to where Lo had us? You can stay standing. You guys can keep playing. Um, but I, I sense like you're going to get a little more of what Larissa just shared. We, we don't have many messages. <clears throat> they're long messages, but they're on the same topic. And it's, 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 it's the beauty of Jesus. It's, it's, the, uh, it's that one thing. And, and when you attain and lay hold of that one thing, you actually get everything else. <laughs> and, and yet, <clears throat> the 
like when, when uh, back in 2010, when we started the Upper Room, I, I was filled with, with dreams, aspirations, had a, had a resume and, and some accomplishments. But I'm so grateful for the early season because the Lord just, uh, he utterly whittled me and Larissa and a couple of others just, just down to nothing where I truly, this is now a common phrase like Jesus, Jesus plus nothing is everything or Jesus is enough or Jesus is sufficient and it's one thing to like say it and believe it it's another thing when when that's your only reality like when that's it when when he's it <laughs> when he's it I, there's a story of a guy named George Quam probably no one knows of George Quam he was a he's a famous athlete and uh, he's in the handball hall of fame which probably didn't know there was a handball hall of fame. I didn't. But there's a handball hall of fame, which handball is a sport. You play with your hands, believe it or not. That's why it's called handball. It's fascinating. But the interesting thing about George Quam is George Quam only had one arm. So he's in the hall of fame as a handballer, but he only had one arm, which means he only had one hand. I know, this is amazing. And... And yet he was, he was like one of the best handballers of his day. And this was quite the sport back in the 20s. And he was visiting Herbert Huber. And Herbert Huber was like, you are an anomaly. Like what you've accomplished as a one-armed man in the sport of handball. And uh, he was like, how did you do it? How did you win? How did you? And, and George Qualm said this. It's, it, it's easy. Um, options. I had none. <laughs> When the other guys were attempting to figure out which arm to use, I only had one. <laughs> I think it's a profound reality. And I, I, I think until we realize we're one-armed handball players <laughs> and Jesus is all we got, we've got no other option. We miss this thing that he has for us. And, and back when we planted our church, like, we really had nothing. We had this room, and the Lord had spoken this phrase about ministering, ministering to him. I want you to minister to me. I want you to learn how to minister to me. I want you to learn how to worship me. I want, I want, that's it. it, it this, your sermons aren't working. Go do street evangelism. We tried it. Like, no one was listening. There was no harvest coming in, and we were whittled down to this one thing, ministry to him. And the reason I'm saying this is because sometimes you're going to go into dark places and it's true. It's, he's all you're going to have. And, and eventually this spot became real comfortable. Um, as, as, as a small group started, started gathering in this place, uh, the Lord was really clear about, about what not to do. Um, when we planted a church, especially in Dallas, Texas, we do church really well. And so you get a website, you do small groups, you do the things that will assimilate and gather people. And the Lord... The Lord was really clear. Like, I don't want you to get a website. I don't want you to do social media. I don't want you to do YouTube. Um, I don't want you to, to come up with any small group strategies. I just want you to do this one thing. I want you to gather in a room every day. Every day, gather in a room. And at least one time a day, I want you to minister to me. And I want you to learn how to host my presence in this dark area of your city. And, uh, and so we, 
by default, we're cornered, and we became students of God's presence. That's the phrase we use. We, we started to study uh, what he liked. We started to study why he came. We started to, to study like, how, to, how to pray what we felt like he was sharing and praying. And, and, and it became this, this big experiment of how do we host God? How do we rightly respond to God? How do we rightly love God? And, and it was true. It was truly all that we had. And, and so these prayer hours started developing. I really wasn't a prayer guy. I wasn't a house of prayer guy. But we started hosting God's presence. And one set turned into two. And, and before we knew it, we had, um, we had daily prayer happening from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, every day. And, and it was marked by this one thing. When people would come into this room, they would, they would say this phrase. They would say, God is here. Or God's, God's presence is here. It was the mark of this little room that no one knew about. You like had to know someone to get in. And, 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 uh, and for seven years, from 2010 to 2017, it just became this sweet spot for us where, where like the presence of the Lord Psalms 132, this resting place was established in a really dark area of our city. And, and testimonies started to, to go from this little room where people were getting saved or healed or transformed. And so they would, they would meet someone and then they would bring them into this room. And, and, uh, and, and over time, uh, <clears throat> like the presence of Jesus it was the measurement. It was the mark. Like, did he show up? And, and in 2017, uh, the Lord, through a friend, it's a longer story, he said the Lord really wants to start speaking through media. And, uh, and, and I think he wants to use upper room through media. And, and I didn't really know what that meant because we hadn't done media. It was like such a no for the longest time. You know, God's, God's really committed to you fulfilling your destiny. Like, God's, God's really committed to building his house, but using you in that. But, but it's really not about the destination that he's taking you to. It's about the journey and the process. It's not about knowing the acts and what God does. It's about knowing his ways and knowing his heart. And, and intimately you, little you, knowing big him and how he leads you. And, and that was this process for us. And so thinking about... Well, what does that look like? I had no idea how to, like, what a website or media. And I had a, I had a little barista. We had owned a coffee shop. And he said, we should get this YouTube. We should get a YouTube channel. So we got a YouTube channel. And we started just recording uh, little, little moments of this little room in Oak Lawn where we were hosting God's presence. And, and, uh, and that was August of 17, 16, something like that. It was six, seven years in. And, and, uh, and this channel ends up going absolutely bonkers. Like God, God breathes on these five loaves and two fish that Little Upper Room brought. And I, I feel like what the, Lord, what the Lord did in that season is he used our little community to start a conversation within the church and specifically within millennials and Gen Zs of what it looks like to host God's presence, what it looks like to rightly love him. Like what it looks like to, to first love. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What was the greatest commandment? It was to love God. It was, it was loving him. 
And I think what we've done is in the name of loving God, we've done a lot for God. In the name of loving God, we've gone for God. In the name of loving God, I'm going to do things for God because I love him. But that is not loving God. (laughs) I love my wife and I do things for my wife because I love her. But me loving her, it's intentional. Me loving her, it's very specific and detailed to my relationship with her. I know her. I know what she loves. I know what she likes to do. I know how to move her heart. And, and, and I, I sense like this first love thing is so important for where we're heading because there's great exploits that we're going to do for him, but they're all going to be from the posture of loving him, of beholding him, of knowing him. Are we going to love people? Yes. Are we going to touch the nations? Yes. But it's going to be from What's most important, and what's most important is you learning how to love him. And it's a learned thing. It's not by default that, oh, yeah, yeah I love him. No, it, it takes intentionality. It takes you being intentional about doing what Larissa said, bringing your empty little cup before him to move him. It's what matters most. Because there's great, I just feel so deeply in my heart, there's great exploits that you're going to do for him. But what if you do those great exploits for him and yet you never actually intimately know him? And I feel what the great concern that I have for rooms like this that are going to do something amazing for God is that there's many, and I know them, there's many that are influential for him, but they're not intimate with him. There's many that are doing great exploits for him, and yet they're not connected to his heart. And you have a moment in time, three months that you're like, fully yielding your heart. You you won't get this time again. Like life is only going to get more complex. Life is only going to get more challenging to fight for time, to set apart and to designate so that you can learn this. But I don't want you to miss like these windows of opportunity where it's like, hey, (laughs) this is your moment. This is your moment to learn how to lay your heart bare before him. This is your moment to know how to give him what he desires most. Little you. Before you do something big for him. It's this five loaves and two fish. It's it's you cracking open what only you can crack open to give to him. In Song Psalm, it says, rightly do they love you. I want to be known as one that rightly loves him. Amen. There's a story in Luke 7. Luke 7 is one of my favorite, uh, Luke 7 is one of my, my favorite texts. Uh, a man by the name of Simon um, invited Jesus to his house. He wanted to know him. And so he sets up this dinner party. And uh, <clears throat> he sets a time, a place, a meal. I don't know what all went into it, but Jesus was the talk of his town. And I think his desire was to know the Lord, like to really know who he was. His ministry was growing, passing through this guy's vicinity. And so guess what Jesus does? This is what's amazing about Jesus. Is he always shows up where he's invited. Jesus shows up where he's invited. He shows up on time. He enters into Simon's house. He sits at the seat Simon designated him to sit at. He ate the food that was put before him. He followed all the house protocols. Everything Simon asked him to do, Jesus did it. And yet there was a woman, like the John 4 woman, that was in vicinity of Jesus. And 
<clears throat> and she crashes Simon's dinner party. She, she crashes it. She wasn't invited, but she knew she was in proximity to the one. And, and in Luke 7, she stands behind the feet of Jesus. And, and the party's disrupted because of her tears. They hear her crying behind his feet. And then from moving from tears, she then bends down and she begins to kiss with her lips his feet. And then she breaks open some perfume. She pours that on his feet as well. So she begins crying, she begins kissing, and she begins anointing the feet of Jesus. And, and this is to the dismay of all of those gathered around the table. And her response to Jesus confronts Simon's perception of Jesus. Simon begins to think to himself, if Jesus knew who was touching him, if Jesus knew who this was, he's thinking this internally. And so Jesus, knowing what Simon's thinking, uses this woman as a metaphor. And I won't get into the metaphor. It's about forgiveness. But I love this, this, this verse. And just follow me. I know you guys, we're, we're almost there. Jesus uses, uses this woman to teach Simon something. And I think it's to teach us something. He says, Wyman, uh, Simon, Wyman. <laughs> he says, Simon, uh, do you see this woman? turns to her and, and it was a dumb question because everyone saw this woman but 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 Simon and his guests did not see what Jesus saw he says do you see this woman and he says he says I came into your house follow me this is this is this is it he says you gave me no water for my feet but she's been crying and her tears and then he says, you gave me no kisses. And yet she hasn't stopped kissing. He says, you gave me no anointing oil, but she hasn't stopped anointing my oil. Here, here's what Jesus was telling Simon. I was open, available, and ready to receive all of that from you you didn't offer it to me. You didn't offer it to me. But this woman, she gave me all of those things. It's my heart's desire. My heart's desire were, were kisses, tears, oil. It, it, I, think it, I, think it, I think it's a metaphor of, what are tears? Tears are our pain. What are kisses? Affections, oil, resources. She brought her entire being before his feet. And, and what, what, what took place is it was an exchange. And this is after 13 years now of dying a thousand deaths and learning how to host God's presence. Here's what I've learned. He will always show up where he's invited. But he, he comes in as the guest of honor. But the one who's the guest of honor desires to be the host himself because he's the host of hosts. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. But he will honor our reception of him. But what she positioned her heart for, she positioned her heart for him to actually host her. Because she doesn't say a thing throughout the narrative. But, but she says this, he says this about her. 
He says, her sins, which are many, are what? Forgiven. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she, do you remember what he says about her? She what? She loved what? Much. She loved much. She loved much. She loved much. Who was she loving? We talk about, oh, he whose sins are forgiven, they have a lot of love. We talk about loving others. But this is an example of, this is an example, it's like the quintessential example of loving Jesus, of first love for him. She loved much. She was loving Jesus much. I don't know about you, but I wanted to be said of my life, wow, he loved much. Who did he love much? He loved me much. How did he love me? He loved me by, by positioning his heart and giving me the pain, giving me the affections, giving me the resources. This is it. Like, it's time for Jesus to crash our cute, pretty dinner parties. Are you with me? It's time for Jesus to crash our cute, pretty dinner parties. He's not into them. He'll come and he'll honor our protocols, but he's looking for the, the woman who is a sinner that will throw herself at his feet. She doesn't say uh, she doesn't say a thing in the entire story in Luke 7. She didn't say a thing, but she was the loudest presence in the story because she was rightly responding to him. I remember this kid uh, in Oaklawn when we, we started in Oaklawn, and, and, and again, no one was really coming because his families didn't want to come into Oaklawn, and really dark area, and, and one of the most interesting places to be in September on a Sunday afternoon, it happens every Sunday afternoon in that neighborhood, is a gay pride parade blows through our, 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 uh, our neighborhood, and, and we met in a room a little bigger than this, but it had windows, and uh, and we started, the pride, pride Parade started at 2, ended at 4, and our church st started at 5. And so right about the time everyone's disbanding and going to bars and throughout the, the neighborhood where we're at, we start worshiping. And it was always, it was always an epic Sunday because you got these radical lovers of Jesus in the midst of, like, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's, 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 it's so, so, so gnarly. Um, but this specific night, this is probably four years in, um, um, we always preach the gospel, preach the gospel, and it's this beautiful, beautiful night. And as, as we're, we're, we're closing out, I can see a guy that's kind of like wanting to talk to me, but he's not coming up. He's, he's really shy and timid. And so I called him up, and I said, hey, man, are you new here? Michael, I'm the pastor. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm new. I have not been to church in, in, in years. And, uh, and I said, well, how did you find out about us? He said, well, I live in the neighborhood. And uh, I used to be in, in the lifestyle. And um, he said, a year ago, I was actually in the parade. And I was like, really? What did you do in the parade? He said, well, I, I made a living traveling from city to city as, as, a, uh, as, a, as a drag queen. And I would dress up as a, as a, as a woman. And, and in all pride parades, they have a pageant for queens like me. And if you win the pageant, you can actually make a living from, from doing this and all the lifestyle that surrounds it. And so if you went out and you said my name to the, the community, they would know who I was. I was like, well, what are you doing here tonight? And he said, well, I had, I had a sovereign encounter with God uh, in, my, in my apartment. I grew up in the church, but I was really wounded by the church. But I know that Jesus introduced himself to me alone in my apartment. 
and I haven't known what to do with it. And so I was like, man, that, that is incredible. Well, what, how long have you been here at the upper room and coming in? He goes, well, a friend of mine told me that there was a church in Oak Lawn. And uh, so I've been coming. And, and I've been sitting in the back. I'm really, really scared to come in. I didn't come in the first couple of times, but I finally came in and I sit in the back. I said, well, what, what have you experienced when you sit in the back? He said, here's what happens. Because we, we sing a while. We sing for, we'll, we'll worship for an hour, two hours sometimes. He said, I sit in the corner, and, and when you guys start singing, when you guys start, start worshiping, <laughs> every time I sit in the back corner, and it's like someone starts to give me a hug. And he said, I feel like I'm finding family here but I'm really scared and I don't know if you have a program for someone like me in your community. And I said, I said, yeah, we do have a program. It's, it's the corner. <laughs> you just sit back there and let us sing because that man hugging you, his name is Jesus. And, and that, that, that guy's name's Kevin. He went from, from a Sunday night to, he started showing up to prayer Monday through Friday. And I watched God through our community and through just the presence of Jesus, just wash this young man, establish his identity. Um, he's now one of the most outspoken uh, activists towards the underbelly of, of men that are trapped in that lifestyle. He's, he's just a beacon of light because of the transformation that's happened. But he would say that the, the thing that transformed him was learning to sit at the feet of Jesus and learning how to rightly love him. Because people, people have a longing in their heart, and it's to love. It's to love Jesus. And I think when they come into an environment where he's rightly loved, where people are rightly responding to him, it provokes something inside of them. To give him their tears, to give him their kisses, to give him their oil. And this Luke 7, I believe, is the emerging church. <laughs> the dinner parties that we've thrown for Jesus just aren't sufficient. Your generation doesn't want them. Your generation wants that lovesick bride that will spend hours, spend days at his feet, lavishing him with tears, kisses, and oil. It's really all we have to bring him. And it's what he seeks, as Larissa so beautifully painted. He's seeking worshipers. I think it's why you're here. And so can we do more of the same? Can we go after this over the next two days? Uh, tomorrow, we're going we're gonna to look at uh, the Upper Room Discourse, which is really about heart health. The first two days with us, we're going to talk about heart health, just, just establishing a healthy heart. Uh, your heart's the wellspring of your life. If your heart's not whole, if your heart's not healthy, you're not. And what Larissa spoke about this morning, about being a worshiper, it, it's a heart posture that you learn. It's a muscle that you grow and you learn to steward before the Lord. And so tomorrow we're going to look just at, I think it's, if I had one, one lesson I could, outside of the gospel that I could give my kids, it would be what we're going to look at tomorrow. And then, uh, and then Friday, uh, we're going to look at just how to host God's presence on a, on a corporate level. It can be you and two or three others or you on the field being sent out. I'm just going to give you some practical ways to engage God's presence and uh, to establish resting places for the Lord. 
um, wherever you're going. I think it'll be a really helpful tool for you to have um, as we as we send you out in the next couple of weeks. So that's what we're going to do the next two days. Is that cool? Is that cool? So would you just stand to your feet? I just want to bless you as, as we go about our day. put your hands out. Jesus, we, we honor you. We honor your leadership in our midst. Lord, you're, you're not, you're raising up lovers. You're raising up those that know how to follow you. God, I'm grateful for the leaders in this room, but Lord, you're looking for followers. You're looking for worshipers. You're looking for yielded hearts. And so, Father, grow that Grow that inside of us. Sanctify our wills. Sanctify our ability to yield to your voice. Lord, you're looking for yielded hearts. You're looking for tender hearts. Those that are lowly and meek in heart. Lord, we want to be those. We want to be hungry and thirsty, Lord Jesus, to rightly follow you, to rightly lay our lives down. And so raise up lovers. Raise up followers, God baptize Holy Spirit these young people in your fire God would you consume them would you consume them in your jealous love Lord teach us to yield our will teach us to yield our lives daily Lord when no one's looking we know you are and that you're seeking hearts fully surrender and yielded to you and so Lord lay hold grip our lives once again grip our hearts once again, Lord Jesus, destroy any and every other influence, idol, leaven in our hearts. We give you your rightful place as King and Lord. And so come and consume all that can be consumed. And may we, Lord, today walk in spirit and in truth as those that have been liberated by you. He who the Son set free is free indeed. And if you're hearing my voice, it's his desire for you to be free. Because his spirit is inside of you and his truth, his truth, his truth is your source. And so we honor you, we bless you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just lay hands on someone real quick. Lay hands on them and say, be filled with God's spirit and walk in his truth. Be filled with his spirit and walk in his truth. One more time. Be filled with his spirit and walk in his truth and you will be free. That's the point. (laughs) Have a great day. We love you. Thank you so much for listening. For more on true worshipers, stay right here on the Fire and Fragrance podcast.